The following is an interview with Scott Rickens of the FIRE movement. FIRE is an acronym for Financial Independence, Retire Early. This conversation originally aired October 3rd on the Wednesday edition of The Point on KPOV 88.9 High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. Scott is an Emmy-nominated film and video producer, serial entrepreneur, and author. He spent his career as a storyteller, connecting people with ideas. Along the way, Scott's work has generated millions of views through feature-length documentary, multiple television series, short films, and a diverse range of commercial projects for Microsoft, NBC, Facebook, Fox, Taylor Guitars, BMW, Wired, and others. Now Scott has created Playing With Fire, which explores the growing community of frugal-minded folks choosing a path to financial independence and early retirement. He and his family now reside in Bend, but before moving to Bend, Scott and his wife Taylor, both in their 30s, led a lifestyle many would envy, a perfect life, if you will. A home on an island in Coronado across the bay from San Diego, driving two new cars, one a BMW, Starbucks every morning, eating out frequently, and earning in excess of six figures. They could afford anything, but not everything, because they weren't happy. Welcome to The Point, Scott. Thanks for having me. Scott, what changed? You had what many people strive for. (laughs) Yeah, I think... um... I th- you know for for us uh the the cost of living in the place that we were uh where we were living was was definitely going up and you could feel it but you didn't quite notice it because it's you know it's like this slow moving thing but you could feel it something was off and I I wasn't exactly sure what it was and then one day I was driving to work and I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts um and I heard this guy named Mr. Money Mustache and he was talking about living on $27,000 a year. And I thought, wow, that's deprivation levels. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't know how we would possibly do that. And, um, and by the end of the interview, you know, his optimism and his, his happiness was really speaking to me. And it seemed so doable. And so he kind of created a reframing of how I could look at things in that one hour, and I just dove into his blog, like, hook and sinker. That was your, you called it a Harajuku moment? Yeah, the Harajuku moment, uh, the light bulb moment where I suddenly realized that what I had been chasing was um, trying to increase our income so that we could feel more comfortable in our lifestyle. And that moment, that light bulb moment, was realizing that my savings uh, rate my 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 if we could increase our savings rate, that would ultimately be uh, much much more powerful. You mentioned that you were spending money you didn't have on stuff you didn't need to impress people you didn't know. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah that that quote I think it's it's a um, it's, it comes out of like. The 30s or something, you know, it's been around for a long time, um, but it, it really strikes you when you start thinking about. It. I mean, we're we're susceptible to. I think it's something like 5,000 ads a day, or something like that. And I'm in. I was in the ad industry. Um, you know, our job was to try to figure out how to connect people and uh, with brands, and um, and that's happening all over the place. And I think there isn't enough discussion on uh, getting a, getting away from what you think you need 
and getting, you know, really in tune with, with what you want. And for me, um, happiness is, you know, it's the only, it, well, Mr. Money Mustache says it's the only logical pursuit. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, you know, we started looking at that. Well, so I wonder, I mean, for me, I mean, I've heard that from a lot of people is they just want to be happy. They just want to be happy. And yet they're chasing all these things that maybe they think is, maybe they've been programmed to believe is going to make them happy. So how do you get in touch with what really does make you happy with what you know will make you happy rather than money? Yeah. I mean, I think that's life's exploration. I don't know if I have that answer per se, but what I am doing is sort of eliminating the things that I know don't bring me happiness. And I think, um, for us, I think we were just getting caught up in this sort of lifestyle creep that we didn't even notice was happening. I think right. we, my wife and I always considered ourselves not to be very uh, materialistic, um, that material things didn't drive us. And, you know, to be honest, our, our place wasn't filled with stuff. It wasn't about buying stuff. But, but boy, we were good at spending money regardless. It seems to me that the more when I, I'm retired now, but the more I made, the more I spent. Mm, yeah. It just I don't I don't know how that happens. Yeah, <laughs> you just kind of live up to your income or beyond without even realizing what you're doing. We're constantly being told that that's OK. And we're living in this sort of like credit you know, society where, you know, everybody has access to money and they, and, and they think it's okay. And, and, you know, it's funny when we when we've, we've been filming for the last year and a half, uh, kind of documenting our whole process coming through to the other side. And we were in the fields of Iowa, uh, where I grew up and my dad, uh, made that comment. He said, you know, back when I was growing up, we didn't have credit cards to, to, Take money, you know, from someone that, you know, to, to owe them money just so you could buy a thing was absolutely unheard of. And um, and they've always lived within their means. My parents have always lived within their means. And it, it suddenly hit me that I had been sort of raised frugally and I was like sort of this lost child that like lost his way. It was an amazing epiphany to have to realize that, you know, you can have these feelings and this sort of identity that you're not materialistic and you, you would you would never you know, become susceptible, susceptible to that thing. Um, but yeah, we kind of, we were sort of awakened. We realized that we weren't valuing our time enough. We weren't valuing, um, the money that we had earned enough because we worked so hard to earn it. And that was like the fundamental shift in, and, and now how we live our life and how we make decisions. And it's honestly so much easier with this framework that fire provides. You and Taylor each made lists of the 10 things that made you happy. What did you learn from that exercise? <laughs> well, it was a bit of a coup uh, f uh, that I put on my wife because uh, I was trying to convince her actually for about a year to to think about moving from where we were because I knew I knew that it was just so expensive and never felt like we were going to get ahead or we'd never be able to afford to buy a home. Um, you know, if, if we had a BMW sitting in the driveway, the BMWs there were like Honda Civics everywhere else. I mean, it's just, it's like <laughs> it's not a big a deal. Big deal. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. Which is fascinating. I mean, that's a, that's a engineering marvel sitting in our driveway and it's like absolutely so unnecessary for us at that moment. It's not to say that BMWs aren't bad, you know, they're, they're no, they're wonderful they're cars. They're wonderful vehicles. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, the the list of happiness it was really um, it was really about reframing. Uh, I knew I knew it would not be easy to walk in and say, "Honey, I'd like to move, I'd like to get rid of our cars, and I'd like to live on you know half of what we're living on now." That's not going to work. But if I if I reframed it as, "Hey, let's start talking about what really makes us happy on a weekly basis," 
then we can kind of look at that list and we can both work from there. You know, I was, I knew, I knew that she and I worked uh, really well together, that we had similar uh, wants, needs, and desires, but how often did we really sit down and talk about those? They were sort of assumed. And, um, and so that was one of the first times we've ever sat down and actually talked specifically, like what brings you happiness on a weekly basis? And it was really, it was really transformative because a, the beach wasn't on her list. So I was kind of able to, you know, point that out. Her car wasn't on the list. I was able to point that out. But things that were on our list were time with our family. Um, the only two things that cost money on her list were wine and chocolate. And I said, if you come with me on this journey, you can have as much wine and chocolate as you want. You are a smart man. <laughs> so you quit your jobs. You actually moved in with parents for a while and then eventually moved to Bend. Why Bend? Uh, us Oregonians do not consider Bend a particularly affordable place. Our cost of housing is among the highest in the state. Why not Redmond, Sisters, Tumalo, Lincoln City, whatever? Prineville. Pri- <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you know, all those, all those places have their charms, and we've really enjoyed going, uh, going around and checking out our new, our new place, our new community. But for us, um, you know, we we came through Ben last summer, and it was actually the weekend that uh, the eclipse was going on, oh. and we didn't know that was happening. Um, we knew the eclipse was happening, but we didn't know that it was coming directly over Bend. We also didn't know that the Bend uh, Brew Brew Festival right. uh, was happening in tandem. So I, I think I read somewhere that it was the, one of the busiest weekends uh, yes, that yes. Bend's ever had. Yes, and it was well, crazy. all of Central Oregon. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. And for us, you know, one of the things we were trying to escape was traffic and the amount of people that we lived around. And to come to Bend. On the busiest weekend it may have ever had in the history of the city, and still find parking, <laughs> and not feel like there was a lot of traffic, and get doesn't a, take you an hour and a half to get from one end to the other. No. Exactly, that was uh, that was pretty pretty pivotal for us. And the beauty of of Drake Park, I mean, that was the first place we walked down to, mm. and within ten minutes of arriving in the city, and I had butterflies in my stomach. I couldn't believe we had found this place. It was like it was like a dream. So I mean, we. I, I, I I still pinch myself, but you know what really struck me was the community. Um, it, almost instantly, everyone was smiling, holding doors for each other, looking at each other in the eye. And for me, I think that's a very key thing uh, for happiness uh, levels. So, so right. at that point, you just stopped looking. Just I, I mean, why I, look anywhere else? I was struck by that too. I mean, going into the supermarket and have people actually look you in the eye and ask you questions, and just how are you doing today? Taking a moment just to do that—that mm-hmm. that was amazing for me. Speaking of the fire movement, let's talk a little bit about that. What is the movement in a nutshell, and why are so many millennials embracing it? Yeah. Um, well, the movement itself is known as Financial Independence Retire Early. And, you know, a movement, a subculture, I'm not sure if it's completely defined yet, but um, it's very, it's fairly new. Uh, some of the concepts that it pulls from are, um, are, are kind of tried and true. They've been around a long time. But, um, uh, you know, the, the proliferation of this subculture, I think, uh, speaks – there's a lot of things happening right now. You know, obviously the internet has been around for a while, but um, the ability to mobilize a community, I think, is becoming more and more uh, replicable. It, it makes more sense. There's more op- options out there for that type of thing. Um, podcasts, they're amazing. You can, you can pull up content anytime you want. Um, I think the thing is about the FIRE movement is there's a lot of information – on the upfront to really dive into and um and and 
with blogs and podcasts and things like that, it's pretty thick material. And so you're able to really dive into those things at your leisure. Um, and but but what's really important is this community has uh, has sort of mobilized. There are people that are so passionate about this as sort of a life changing uh, framework that uh, they've started to create Facebook groups. And we're talking in the tens of thousands of people that can come together and get the support they need. Because to be honest, this whole fire thing, it's a little bit uh, countercultural. Um, you're, you're sort of bucking the trends. Uh, and, and, and so it's really helpful to have people who understand what you're going through, um, like with anything. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I think that that's kind of the fire movement. And, uh, and I'm sorry, what was your question? (laughs) What exactly is the movement? I've read that, that, um, it means saving up to 50% of your income. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, I think what it is is it's it's trying to get your savings rate as far as you can while maintaining your happiness. Um, and the reason why you want to do that is uh, the savings rate sort of has this double power where on one hand, the, the more that you save, the more money that you save, the more money that you have to invest, which ultimately when that money is invested, it's working for you. And if you have enough of it invested, it can work enough for you that you can conceivably retire um, on the money that your money's kicking off. Um, but the other power that it has is the lower you can get your savings rate, the less you need. And so the real uh, exciting piece to fire is that, uh, you know, you can conceivably retire uh, for your entire life on 1.25 to $1.5 million, which seems like a lot of money. Um, but, you know, that would effectively get you a forty to $50,000 a year stipend. Uh, or pension for how long? Seemingly indefinitely. Uh, there's this thing called the four percent rule that we base this off of, and it's off of a Trinity study, and it's based on a thirty-year study. But we've seen that the stock market continues to go up over time. Um, you have to be able to ride through the the swings, and that's way easier said than done. And again, why community is very important to have around. Um, but that's kind of what the whole premise is based on, and so. You have like a 98% chance of keeping your uh, principal investment uh, if you withdraw 4% off of your uh, nest egg. So that 4% drawing off comes from the Trinity study? Is that right? Yeah, there was a study that came out that uh, that basically looked at the entire history of the stock market. And in any 30-year period, you were able to withdraw 4% of your portfolio. And because of the gains that you're getting off of the stock market, if that money is invested in the stock market, um, you can conceivably live off of that without ever drawing down on your principal. And so you talked a little bit in, in another interview that I listened to, you were talking about index funds, because when I think of being retired, the money that I invested was through retirement programs. You know, I was lucky enough to work for a company where you could take 6% out and they would match it. And it would go into that was Southern California Edison back in the day. Wow. So um, they would invest it. And as I retire, I'm finding out, okay, at a certain point, I'm going to have to start pulling money out of there. And that frightens me a little bit. So to hear you say, okay, I can take 4% out. Okay, that's good. (laughs) That'll keep me happy. But for people that are not as lucky as I was to have the kind of benefits and, you know, uh, union benefits and companies that were willing to do those kinds of things, 
what is this index fund? What's that all about? It sounds like it might be a little scarier to be jumping into the stock market on your own. Yeah, by the way, uh, going back to your original question, that brings up a great point is that I think um, my my generation, the millennial generation, yeah. apparently I'm an elder millennial. I never knew that until recently. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, younger people today have a really hard time looking at their future because there are no pensions anymore. Yes. There's no safety net. You know, the Social Security may not even be around. We, we don't have much to go on here. Right. And so I think fire the reason why there's such a groundswell of support and excitement for this is because it's ultimately giving people a chance it's giving people a chance to see a, a future that seems bright and um sometimes it's hard to find these days so just wanted to make that point but um but yeah as far as uh index funds uh you know so jack bogle uh started vanguard uh back in the day and uh in the 70s uh, he came up with this novel idea of index funds and basically it's a portfolio of stocks that encompasses the entire S&P 500 um and so what you're effectively doing is investing in the entire stock market all at once. And the nice thing about that is you can kind of set it and forget it. You don't need to be worried about the whims of the stock market, which can be very emotionally volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I believe it's something like 7 or 8% uh, is what you can expect on average uh, from investing in, stock, in the stock market. And so um, when you adjust for inflation, you can you know, conservatively estimate that you'll make about 5% a year, which isn't too bad for, for setting and forgetting. No, especially with what the interest rates are doing right now. Is the fire movement contributing at all to the gig economy uh, shift in our employment picture? Gig economy, for those who don't know, let's say I do a voiceover gig. I make a few shekels, I get a 1099 for it, and I take a few months off. So it's different than working a 40-hour week. Is the fire movement at all playing into that? You know I have a couple thoughts on that. Uh, well, three. First of all, I am not an expert. Uh, our entire <laughs> our entire project is is this idea where you know we're we're playing with fire, like we're we're testing this out, seeing if it fits on us, and we're teaching people uh, what this is all about as we go through the voices of the experts of the movement. That being said, since I'm here, I'll try to you know I'll try to continue on with this as best I can. Ultimately, the gig economy, I think, in fact, actually helps the fire movement. I don't think the fire movement is helping the gig economy. I think um, the ability to uh, to work remotely, the ability to work on your own time, that frees up people's abilities to do other things. It it it's kind of like this whole remote economy is the reason why my wife and I were able to move to Bend. Um, and while you're going to continue to see places that are really awesome that people have considered a best kept seeker for so long continue to grow is because more and more people have the ability to move around. And and so, yeah, I mean, the gig economy, the remote economy, the Internet, these are all reasons why you're seeing this type of uh, this consolidation around these ideas. And, and I think it's fascinating, too, because it's almost like the glass is half full, half empty. If you start out from a position of thinking you're behind or you don't have a whole lot of options, you're, you're, you're going to be struggling. But if you look at it more creatively and see, you know, I hadn't thought of that before, but this person has. So maybe I'll try that. And, and I think that's what helped. Help happens with social media. That's a helpful thing to be able to listen to podcasts, other people's experiences, go on Facebook, have these groups that you're talking about, and just consider possibilities of doing things. It doesn't seem quite so frightening when you do that. Yeah. So Scott, the 10 things that make you happy, have they changed? Oh, that's a great question. Um, No. (laughs) Excellent. Great answer. (laughs) 
And and are you working or have you retired or how does that work? Oh, yes. Uh, so, yes, I am not financially independent. And so um, I'm not close to retirement, but I guess I am close by any standard uh, in today's society in the sense that uh, we're on track uh, for myself to be retired at the age of 41 and my wife to be about 39. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we did a, a test on the retirement calculator when we looked at this whole FIRE framework. And we put in our, our current spending habits and our current uh, earning habits when we were living in Coronado. And it looked like we would be retiring around 85, <laughs> something along those lines. If you were lucky. So I might as well be dead. And, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, that didn't seem very viable to me. Um, something had to change. And we redid the uh, – uh, the calculations and uh, off of what we thought we could maybe push ourselves to get to. And uh, the retirement calculator kicked out like 6.5 years. Nice. Uh, nice. And so, yeah, to 41. So it was uh, it was a drastic. I mean, we're, we're getting decades of our life back. So we are very getting, getting very close to the end of our show here. So I have so many more questions, but basically all I can ask you at this point is how can we find out more? What are the other kinds of things? We, you have a film going, you have a book going, you have a podcast, I think, or a blog or something. How can we find out more? <laughs> yeah, uh, you can visit playingwithfire.co, uh, and that'll you know give you all the information about the projects that we've got going on. We also wrote a little blog on that website that kind of uh, – it's an email template. If you find the blog post about the email template, uh, the Fire email template, you'll you'll that's a place to get started, basically. It's like my email to a friend. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks oh, for having me. What a fun interview. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is a community radio station for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and our program schedule, go to kpov.org. And we value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.